Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God, and that is a huge subject. Uh, We could talk about almost anything, and that would involve the Kingdom of God, because the Kingdom of God is not somewhere off in some non-spatial heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within your reach. It's right here. It's multidimensional. Uh, it may be even multicultural. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been really in all of the kingdom of heaven. We know that God said, that, or Christ said, that there were many mansions in His Father's house, and you could translate that into many dimensions in His Father's house. But his father's house is something that is an expression of the father's character. And there is another character at war with the father's character. We refer to that as Satan and Beelzebub and and, uh, the devil, the adversary of what? Of righteousness, of God himself. And... uh, that is where we are caught in between because we were told to eat of the tree of life and not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I saw something the other day where somebody was having to make a decision and they, that, that they're in their mind, they knew that I should make this decision based on this over here, this thinking, this calculating of my thoughts in relationship to the information that I have been given in this realm in which I live, and yet they were making the decision the other way, opposite of what their mind was telling them, because their heart was telling them, or something was telling them to go this other way. And that's often the case. Now the question is, Is your heart allied with the heart of God? Because your heart could be allied with a selfish, demonic, satanic adversary to God, and your heart would drive you in this particular direction and pull you in this particular direction. Now, we pointed out many times before that the word sacrifice comes from, in the Hebrew language, comes from a word that means to draw near. And that is the nature of God, that he sacrificed his power by giving you power. Now, that doesn't mean he he has less power, but he, in a sense, he does, because he has given us a free choice. We're not just puppets. Uh, We aren't just, you know, uh, without any kind of choice whatsoever. Now, there is this huge philosophies wandering out out there and, and Calvinist philosophy, etc., that somehow we're, we're just uh, puppets and we don't really have any choice. And in one sense, that's true, but it is misused and, and misdirected. You have a choice of going towards God and his righteousness, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness or rejecting that and going the other way. You have a choice of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life. You have a choice of seeking the Holy Spirit or some lesser spirit that is not really the Holy Spirit. It may have some of the attributes of the Holy Spirit, but it is not 
like the Holy Spirit, and it's actually in the opposite direction because it's repelled by the character of God. So you have that single choice. Once you make that single choice in your heart and in your mind, then you have no more choices. You will be like a pinball, fired out of the slot and bouncing about, flicked about by every wind of doctrine. And you don't make that choice in your intellectual brain. That's the tree of knowledge. You make that choice somewhere where you live in this body and spirit that you call you. And you cannot manipulate that choice. You either make it or you don't. It will make you or break you. It will guide you or compel you to go away. It will pull you nearer God or push you farther away. And when I look out in the world today and I saw all kinds of things that were just rolling through my mind for the last couple hours uh, that I've seen this week that uh, and the last few weeks that show me that there is huge sections of the population that are making the choice to go away from God. Now, they may talk about God. They may think of themselves as believers in God or even believers in in Jesus Christ. But they are not. They are workers of iniquity. And so how do you tell if you're one of those workers of iniquity that Jesus is going to reject that thinks they're allied with Christ? They think they're doing things in the name of Christ, but they're actually workers of iniquity. And Jesus didn't say there's going to be a few people who say they believe and say they're doing things in the name of Christ and even are willing to go up to Christ and profess that they are for Christ. And he is going to inform them that I don't even know you and that you actually should get away from me because you're an actual worker of iniquity. Not a few, but many, he says, many. Now, many could be a majority or even 40% or 70% or 80% or 90%. And Jesus particularly seemed to avoid giving the actual statistics because he was asked, are many saved or the few? And evidently, in his day-to-day conversation, he was avoiding that answer and because they had to ask. You know, they were eating and drinking and, and sleeping together, camping together, traveling together. And they didn't know. And when they asked directly, he didn't tell them. <laughs> he avoided the answer. Tricky Jesus. <laughs> there must be some reason he doesn't want us to know. But you would be surprised. You you should be almost shocked at the number of people who think they are the good guys. That they are the righteous. That they know their religion is right. People want to think that. They want to think that they have figured it out, that they have got a solution. Very few people are willing to say, I haven't got it figured out. I think that is very important to say that you don't know. That that first 
stepping out and saying, you know, I don't really know, is actually stepping down out of the tree of knowledge. If you think you know, that's pretty good evidence that you're climbing around in the tree of knowledge. There's a line in in a movie where it says, what does your heart tell you? Well, of course, now the heart is a treacherous thing, according to the Bible. Tricky thing. But God's going to write his laws upon your heart and upon your mind. And he's only going to do that when your heart and mind is soft enough to receive the tip of his finger. The, the truth that he offers you. And, you see, you're up here in the tree of knowledge in your intellect trying to figure it out. I mean, you could be, uh, you know, you could have this whole idea of Christian identity and white supremacy and Jesus, God chose a particular race and that's the key. You have to be that race and then, you know, the Bible is about you and everything's about you and you're saved and... And uh, because you're one of the races, or maybe it's you join a religion, or you belong to, you know, this, the Catholic religion, or the Lutheran religion, or the Calvinist religion, and you, you know, because you studied. It's all tree of knowledge stuff. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lifteth where he wills. So how do you know? Because you you study to show yourself approved, and we've shown a hundred times over that that word study to show thyself approved is not translated study anywhere else in the Bible. Scholars translated that word there, study, in that one place because they want to show themselves approved because they've done so much studying. But the word doesn't mean study. The word means be diligent. Diligent in what? Righteousness of God. Be diligent to show thyself approved. There it is. So diligent, are you, do you look like Christ? We've seen in the recent election people out protesting, breaking windows, setting fires, stealing stuff, doing damage, threatening people, beating up people, old men in the streets because they were for a candidate that supposedly won. And, uh, you know, I, I remarked to somebody, I said, still there was, you know, millions of people that voted uh, for the other candidate. Uh, are we still connected? We just had a power outage here. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, I was in the dark there for a brief moment. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, the, uh, uh, the you know, in these recent demonstrations, millions of people, and they, they actually pointed out that, uh, well, they weren't necessarily real bodies behind all those votes because there's huge amounts of evidence that there's been voter tampering 
uh, with these machines and electronic devices and everything. And, you know, as to the extent of it, I, I wouldn't know. Uh, the idea that there would be no voter tampering, well, that would be naive to think that there hasn't been. And there's billions of dollars at stake. Whoever wins that election uh, will have control over billions and billions of dollars that will be spent uh, and and move this way or that way. It's a, it's a very lucrative office of President of the United States. I mean, there isn't hardly been any president uh, since uh, Calvin Coolidge that did not become rich once he held that office uh, because of the fact that uh, it's there's so much power that is being wielded around. They could... They could easily waive a right to their uh, salary and still become millionaires in the first four years of their uh, office because it's a huge office of power. And the, where did that power come from that has been vested in that office of presidency? And we could do the same thing with any country. The United States happens to be the country I'm sitting in right now. And... It is one of the most predominant countries in the world. It's probably not one of the freest countries in the world. I believe that there's something extra going on here in America more so than anywhere else. But right now I see a, a huge evil spirit moving across the land and in, in inhabiting the hearts and minds of large sections of the population, whether it's the numbers that we see in the election or not. Uh, certainly, I don't believe that any one side of the election has a monopoly on good people by any means. I mean, most of the people that were voting were voting out of hate for the opposite candidate rather than any particular love of righteousness. Uh, self-righteousness, there's a lot of love of self-righteousness going on right now where people like, uh, you know, they want they want power over their neighbor. They want to force their neighbor to do this, that, or the other thing. They want to control their neighbor's life and their neighbor's pocketbook. And they justify this because, oh, we're going to take from the rich and give to us, <laughs> give to the poor or whatever. But it never really happens that way. As a matter of fact, if you if you look at, uh, well, I mean, there's a, certainly attempts to tax the rich more, and, of course, the, ta the rich are taxed more. And But the ones who usually lose out are the working class, the middle class, who are uh, are set upon by uh, the uh, all the different people that... Uh, that uh, uh, that are in, uh, you know, government that want to regulate and tax and control and uh, and manipulate other people. They get a charge out of that. They get a charge out of controlling other people. Uh, I saw a testimony. You know, I I love to watch Trey Gowdy. Uh, if I, you know, I don't get to watch videos very often, but occasionally uh, I see a Trey Gowdy video that uh, where he's talking to somebody, and I disagree with the guy on many things, but the reality, the guy has gumption, and uh, it's 
it kind of creates a balance after watching a lot of the uh, the mindset that we see coming out of the universities today, uh, the victimhood, uh, people looking for safe spaces, uh, people uh, offended because you used a particular word, uh, and, and some of the rationale that we see people coming up with because you use that word uh, is unbelievable. Um, but the uh, the fact is, is he is so direct and down to earth and basic in his own uh, philosophy, his personal philosophy, that it kind of creates a balance from what we see coming out of the safe spaces of the universities of the nation now. Ninety uh, percent of some of the uh, professors are these uh, people that are actually leading the minds of young people into this victimhood of uh, self-righteousness. And you see them, you know, screaming and protesting and, and raging with an anger at somebody who disagrees. And you, there's your evidence of that individual. Now, I don't want to condemn any of these people. These people are lost. And, and uh, their selfishness is drawing them away from righteousness. So they will be unrighteous. They are dead to the truth. They can't see it. You can explain it. You can explain it. You can show it a hundred different ways. You can lay it out in a logical pattern. They will not see it. They are dead to the truth. And their selfishness is sucking them away from the truth. They just will not receive it. Now, at the other and there's another group who are just committed to the truth. They're, they don't get angry. They don't get upset. They don't rant and rave. They would run across the street to help somebody if they saw somebody in need. Uh, they work hard. They mind their own business. You don't hear from them. They're not out protesting. They're not out whining and crying. They're not out being the poor victim. And uh, so they're kind of invisible, you know, the silent masses. I'm not really sure where the numbers lie. It really doesn't matter. One group of people can tap into the energy of God. And the other group of people is, is drained constantly, sucking the life out of everybody else around them. They are the the vampires and the zombies of society. the uh, And amongst them, you also find the werewolves of society. And all those creatures, zombies, vampires, werewolves, these, these things that go bump in the night, I mean, they are all the result of what, a creature of that kind biting. <laughs> You know, the werewolf bites and you become a werewolf. The vampire bites, you become a vampire if you don't die. And uh, the zombie bites and you become a zombie. And you're dead, but you become animated. I'm not sure where they get their life and their nourishment. They have to go out and bite other people. They don't bite each other as much as they want to bite anybody who is not like them. And this is what we, our, our, our psyches draw out 
as the thing we are most afraid of. And there's an element of truth, spiritual truth, in these things that we write about. And we see the extremes of these characters manifesting themselves here and there. You know, the the shooter who goes around. I talk to people who work at the local school, uh, and they talk about their plans in case a, you know, a shooter comes on to their school grounds. What will they do? And uh, it, it's fascinating, but I have to save it for campfire talks. Uh, what some of the conclusions were at this particular school as to what would be done. But uh, the reality is is this, this uh, there's the, the, those people who go out, these shooters, whenever they're cornered, they turn the gun on themselves and shoot themselves in almost every case. And that's a pattern. You see this pattern of self-destruction. They go out to destroy others, but then also destroy themselves. And, of course, we see the same pattern amongst people who are, you know, I mean, uh, your your movies show it, uh, your stories of, uh, of people, you know, Nazis fighting for this kind of thing where they, you know, they bite the cyanide capsule and kill themselves when captured. And uh, they're willing to do that. Uh, rather than help the enemy, even though they are really an enemy of the people. They are wreaking murder and mayhem, but they will kill themselves when cornered. Pattern, uh, what What did the, the demons that Christ supposedly pa- uh, cast out of uh, the individual, and the demons argue don't cast us into the pit, but cast us into... You know, so he cast them into these swine, and the swine ran over the cliff and killed themselves. They destroyed themselves, and that's that pattern again. This, so society has a spirit growing in your society, nurtured in your society, that has this self, same self-destruction, will destroy itself, loyally destroy itself. Destroy its economy, destroy its uh, infrastructures, burn and pillage its own community. And think that's good. Think that's noble. Because they have been given over to a spirit of destruction. That spirit is a spirit of creation, a spirit of life, gives life, nurtures life, even our medicine. Today, how many doctors kill people every day with their medicines? How many pharmaceutical drugs kill people? Vaccinations are supposed to save lives. They they have been a plague recently because we're giving 40, 50 shots to a two-month-old baby. So what's really going on and what can we do about it? Well, we'll be back in a minute and we'll talk about what we can do about it. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Um, 
so we see society destroying itself. We see elements of the society that destroy themselves. We see see that manifest itself in uh, countless ways. And, of course, many of them who are destroying themselves think they are actually saving the world, uh, and they do it with this tremendous fervor. And, uh, you know, I mean, you look at the economy and, uh, we were discussing with a number of people, uh, Social Security. Social Security, people talk about, well, that's my retirement. That's my trust fund. And we have a thing here in Oregon called PERS. And lots of people have that. Uh, and PERS is bankrupting the state. And we see it in other states from New Jersey to Michigan to whatever that uh, they, uh, uh, Illinois, I, I just you could just go down a long list. It's probably almost every state to some degree. There's a few states that actually are somewhat solvent, but uh, this idea of creating pensions that the obligation of which will totally bankrupt uh, that county, state, uh, municipality, uh, but they still want it. They still want those benefits, and you know they don't want them threatened, and they don't want uh them to go away because that's what they're looking for that's their that's their pound of flesh and uh in the story you know in Shakespeare and his pound of flesh you can have your pound of flesh but if you take one drop more your own life is forfeited one ounce more if you can cut that out without taking any more from that individual than one pound then uh you can take the pound but if you take one ounce more one fraction one drop more your own life is forfeited because as you judge so shall you be judged and that that is, that is something that uh, is repeated over and over again that we've saw to, in some of the things that I shared uh, over this uh, recent Thanksgiving holiday about uh, uh, what was really going on in America with the original Thanksgiving. And that that's a topic in itself. And I'm working on a book. I've expanded uh, dozens of pages in the last few days just going over my notes and everything in response to things going on on the Living Network. Um it's absolutely amazing, really, what was going on and what was happening. And I've seen, you know, there's numerous articles because the evidence is there when you actually read the diaries of the time. Uh, but there's an element coming out of the educational system that's going around talking about, uh, you know, that the, the pilgrims are going around and just raiding Indians and killing Indians and murdering Indians left and right, uh, they didn't have the means by which to do that, for one thing. They could barely survive themselves. As they learned to move away from socialism, things got better. But uh, there was uh, destruction of certain Indian groups, and we may address that in the book. Uh, But People do not understand what was going on at that particular time in in history, and uh, what was going on with the Indians before the white man even arrived on the scene. There was constant raids of uh, Indians by Indians, uh, killing uh, uh, like uh, at the Misty Massacre. 
we see that there was a whole Powhatan village that was uh, destroyed by whites who surrounded it, set it on fire, and anybody who tried to escape was killed. Now, there, there are people who argue that it was genocide, and there's a very good argument that it was genocide. But it's interesting if people look at it objectively, just to, you know, not to justify anybody and the cruelty, you know, because they killed everybody in there. There are very few people who survived. There's probably 500 people in that village that they set on fire. And they were not attacking that village just arbitrarily because they wanted their land. Attacks were coming from that village and uh, and killing other people and murdering and kidnapping uh, children as well as adults. And uh, it was not... Uh, uh, you know, a, a good deal. And But the people who survived that battle, because they weren't there, uh, they were they were out raiding other people, maybe whites, maybe other Indians. The Indians, when they first met with uh, uh, the whites at the, you know, Plymouth, or in that general vicinity, uh, they wanted to ally themselves with the whites. Why? Because they feared all the other stronger tribes nearby because Indians were raiding Indians, raiding their villages, stealing their stuff. They were a very tribal uh, outfit. Same kind of tribalism was going on over there in Africa, which allowed blacks to capture blacks and sell blacks to Muslims to sell them to other people into slavery. And so all those slaves were enslaved first by blacks, murdered, killed, captured by black people in that their own communities, and sold into bondage. Indians were doing the same thing. Indians owned many black slaves. They owned they they would capture slaves from smaller villages. They believed in in the greatest documents that came out of the Indian culture, which is like the uh, Great Peace. They believed in manifest destiny. If the, if a tribe did not submit to their manifest destiny, that to, to their their great pine tree of peace traditions. Uh, they would annihilate them, disarm them, treat them as enemy forever and ever, and it just uh, drive them completely out of existence, exterminating them as a tribe. That was an Indian policy before the white men even came, hundreds of years before the white men even came. So as they judged, so were they judged, not to justify the evil that came with Europeans. The reality was that there were good men, and there are bad men in the Indian camp and in the pilgrims camp and in America today. There are good men and bad men. What, what divides them? Because they go to a particular church, because they wear a particular hat or clothes or claim a particular philosophy? No. How do you tell? How do you distinguish? Are you the workers of iniquity? 
that Jesus talks about that he's going to say, get ye from me? Or are you the good people who he's going to invite in? Who, by the way, when he talks about this, you know, he says, you come into the kingdom. They actually say, why us? And, of course, he tells you. But are you really doing what he tells you? He says, because you, you gave me drink when I was thirsty and you gave me clothes when I was naked and you visited me when I was in jail. And, and when they said, when did we even do these things? We don't even know when we did these things. He says, when you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Now the question is, who's his brethren? Who's the brethren of God? Because everybody's not. I mean, you're not supposed to be out there feeding zombies. You're not supposed to be out there, you know, donating blood to the blood bank of vampires. Now, I'm not talking about literal blood. You can donate literal blood, but I'm talking about those those social vampires, which might work in a blood clinic. I don't know, but those social vampires, those spiritual vampires that feed off of other people, drain the people around them, exhaust the people around them. How do they work? They're, you know, the werewolves of society who who devour other people. And, and we see the manifestation of devouring other people in the way in which people conduct business. You know, it's not personal. It's business. Uh, but it's personal to the person you destroy personal to the person that you ravage and uh, rule over. There's a video that supposedly leaked, linked, uh, leaked out of uh, uh, from the campaign headquarters of uh, Hillary Clinton where they suddenly thought that they were winning and they were getting all excited. And, and you see uh, uh, Bill there uh, jumping up and down with this good news, like a little boy, just amazing, all excited. And evidently it was too early or somebody, they were listening to the false news reports coming from the media. And then they had to go through the disappointment later on when they found out, well, actually you didn't win. And uh, I'm, I was glad I didn't see that video. I don't, I don't really know if that video is authentic. I mean, it definitely would look like them. But when was it taken? It, it appears to have been taken fairly recently, but we, we have to assume that it was that campaign night because you can't believe everything you see on the Internet. But the reality is, is that there, there's a certain spirit traveling to people today that uh, is very destructive uh, in society self-destructive, destruction of the uh, neighbor that also includes dominating others, you know, violating others uh, with cruelty. And so how do you fight that? Because now we see at Standing Rock, people are trying to protect the waters that feed down that river because they're going to put this oil pipeline across it. And there's a danger of putting that oil pipeline across it, that if the pipeline were to rupture, it could contaminate the river severely. And we've seen this in other places in the world 
where industry has contaminated huge rivers, killed all the fish, uh, damaged the river for years and years to come. And so the, the, the local natives who live downriver from that want to stop the pipeline. They object to it. Well, that's reasonable to object to it. And I really don't know what the solution is there. I know that the cities that are on the river objected to the location of the pipeline going across because it would affect their water. And they got the pipeline moved. But now they don't want to move it again because they're far enough along in the construction that uh, they're going to force that through. And I don't know whether they'll succeed or not. There's a lot of people demonstrating and fighting against it because their their profits, their prophecy is is that these uh, this uh, pipeline will rupture, will contaminate their river, and will cause them to lose the access to that river and all of its resources for many, many years to come, and evidently at a very dangerous time in history. I don't know what's true there. Uh, I know putting a pipeline across a river can be very dangerous, and all kinds of safeguards should be put into place. And uh, and those people are protesting, and there there's a there's brutality and there's misinformation on both sides. But uh, where's the real power? Is it in protesting? It is it is it in complaining? Or is it in God the Creator? How close to God the Creator are you getting? I'm not objecting to the people protesting. I'm not objecting to people trying to put in the pipeline. Uh, I I can assure you that many of the choices that are being made are probably very bad choices, very unwise choices, just because of the number of very bad and unwise people there are floating around in the world today. But I can't I can't address every single disaster that is coming out in the world, I I would be spread too thin. But I believe that there is a God with a master plan. And he has that plan. And the question is, are you drawn to him? Are you a part of his master plan? His plan to give life? To nurture life in society to make you fruitful and prosper are you drawn to the other plan the plan of self-destruction of destruction you know i was looking in the bible during the break and i was going to look up you know this word destruction how many times does it appear in the bible just just the word destruction which appears you know hundreds of times in in the Bible. What's interesting is that there are dozens of words that are translated into, well, at least a dozen words that are translated into destruction. Some of them are extremely different, translated into destruction. And, uh, you know, there's Hebrew words, um, I'm trying to think of it, Sheber, which is Shem, Biet, Resh. Resh has to do with ruling powers. Be it has to do with a house. Shem has a variety of of different meanings. Um, 
kind of the the name word, uh, an identifier word. But that word is translated destruction 21 times. But it's also translated breach, hurt, break, afflict, bruise, crashing, interpretation, vexation, because you can destroy with interpretation. Now, we can see that very clearly by interpretation of the Bible when they say, my kingdom of heaven is not of this world. Everybody says, well, then we have to go home to our our home in heaven, which is this place after we die. And everybody disregards the fact that he says the kingdom of heaven is for the living and that 90% of what Jesus talked about was for the living people at that time. Almost all of his instructions had to do with how you live in the world but not of the world. But you think you're supposed to go to heaven, and that's where your reward is. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You you are supposed to have dominion on this planet, on this earth. And when he said, my kingdom of heaven is not of this world, he did not use a word that meant planet or earth. He was not saying it to you. He was saying it to Pontius Pilate. That his kingdom of heaven was not of his world. And that word is defined in concordances as constitutional order or system of government. Jesus simply was saying, my kingdom of heaven, my kingdom is, my kingdom of God is not of your constitutional order or system of government. I have no treaties with you. You can't sit in the judgment seat with me. Simple, obvious. Without question, that's what he was saying. There really is no debate except for the fact that it's not what you were taught. And being in the tree of knowledge, you believe in what you were taught, what you have studied to show yourself approved. And to find out your studies are false makes you feel vulnerable and attacked and exposed. I'm stripping away your fig leaf. <laughs> you're naked. His kingdom of heaven is at hand, and you're not in it. You're not even seeking it. You think you find it when you're dead. You find it when you are alive again. You're already dead. You're walking zombies. You're the dead burying the dead, and you bury it in your religious philosophies and ideologies. It all come from you studying in the tree of knowledge. And you hurt one another, afflict one another, bruise one another, curse your children with destruction. Another word uh, that we see uh, translated as destruction in the Hebrew uh, and it's consistently translated destruction. It doesn't have all those other words, that, but it, they talk about it as a place of destruction. And it's actually composed of a number of words, uh, a number of letters, a number of ideas. But it begins with Eliph be it. Again, be it being the house. Eliph be it. Eliph is actually composed of of several ideas, a bob and a yacht, two yods, one upside down, one right side up. That's God and man. That's the connection between God and man. The connection between God and man and the house. And then they have the letters uh, Deleth, 
and Bob again, and Nun, and that has a meaning. And it appears only six times in in the Testaments. Uh, we see it in Proverbs. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men? You're destroyed because your heart is aligned not with God of heaven, but the God of destruction. The God that takes a bite out of one another. You see, sacrifice, rather than taking a bite out of one another, draws you near God. Taking a bite out of one another draws you near destruction. That's the way it works. So it's not enough to stop biting, you know, not take the benefit. It's certainly not enough not to pay into the benefit. That's a lot of people who starve the beast. The beast lives on debt. You can't starve the beast. It, it lives on rebellion. They love it when you rebel and say, I'm not going to pay my taxes anymore. That just draws you more into the belly of the beast. It doesn't, it doesn't set you free. What sets you free is sacrifice. Giving up your pride in your religion, in your religious doctrine, and in your philosophies, in your studies which is all the branches you have clipped and trimmed from the tree of knowledge and then constructed your little house of straw and sticks. Your religion, what you think about God, which is not real religion, it's not pure religion. What you think about God is just your your stick house, your straw house, constructed by that which you trimmed from the tree of knowledge. To fit your own vanity and purpose. Not the purposes of God. All that's your imagination which has created this idol that you call religion. And philosophy. And ideology. And you know, I look at these young people marching in the streets. And you can see a spirit about them yelling and demonstrating and screaming at other people and attacking other people. And you see the zombie apocalypse is upon you already. But we should, you know, and you could easily hate these people, be angry about them, and point at them, and and laugh at them. But aren't we here to raise the dead? Now, we can't raise the dead unless they repent. We should not be feeding the unrepentant. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, if zombies like to bite people that are not zombies, we don't want to be feeding zombies because the only thing they want to really bite is people who aren't zombies yet. So <laughs> you, you actually want to be going the other way. So you shouldn't be out there creating charitable institutions that feed the zombies. You don't want to feed the bears and the monsters and the vampires of the world because all you do is encourage vampires, werewolves, and zombies <laughs> to to become more numerous than they already are. And, of course, the system has created a world of zombies. Student loans. It's creating more zombies. 
it's 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 biting them and cursing them with death uh and sending them to schools that bring them out you know go look at our page on zombies and watch the video of Bob Hope he kind of says it i mean that he tells you way back in the 40s he was telling you I mean, it, he does it in a humorous way, which is why he gets away with it. But there's truth there. So there, but there's so many words in the Bible that are translated destruction, uh, in completely different letters that they put together, uh, that are translated. Uh, Mitzvah is also translated destruction. But we'll have to talk more about that when we return to Keys to the Kingdom. So we'll be right back. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net well welcome to keys of the kingdom and the uh, uh the topic today seems to be monsters uh zombies uh, werewolves vampires uh things that uh, go bump in the darkness of the night and uh the question is are we one of those monsters is that have we been bit by the desire and given the desire to feed off of others and turn a blind eye to the morality or immorality of what we are doing are we workers of iniquity are we devourers of one another because if we are we will be devoured it says you know and the bible tells us in the new testament be careful you do not bite one another lest you be devoured because in that process you become vulnerable what what are the things that keep the monsters away from us to protect us from their destructive power and of course, uh, and the destructive influence. And, and we were going over some of the words in the, in the Bible, at least in the Old Testament, uh, that are translated destruction. And, uh, and we had, uh, we were showing that a number of words are translated destruction. And the, the last one, uh, mitzta, uh, which starts with the letter M or mem which is always a letter of flowing, something that flows. Uh, and it has in it the chet and the tav. So tav has to do with faith. Well, faith is a good thing. But yet they talk about it 
being destruction and has the emphasis letter on the end of hey. So uh, this is something that has a lot of flowing, a lot of faith, but it has this letter Chet, and which has a meaning. We we have all this on the website. You can go and look at these letters and figure out which ones mean what. Uh, that particular word is from another word that has has to do with take or take away, which is Chet Tov Hey. So all they do is this idea of taking away. They add a mem onto the front and mem again is flow this that's what happens in your society through taxation where you tax your neighbor where the flow of your neighbor's blood flows into you you take from your neighbor and it becomes a flowing instrument of society this is we we, we were just talking to people about social security and they say well you know we paid in and we have a right to that. And I talked to you in the last show about PERS, which is an Oregon thing, and but you find it in all the states where they have these benefits that are going to take and take and take and take. And isn't that what it says in Samuel, First Samuel 8, where we reject God, we elect a king, president, prime minister, whatever you want to call him, and, and you chosen by the voice of the people. They even actually use the phrase voice of the people. In, in Samuel, 1 Samuel 8. And they want to have a ruler. And they're told that if you have a ruler, he will take and take and take and take and take and take. Take your sons and daughters. He'll make his instruments of war. He'll, he will invent artificial excuses for his own benefit to go to war. And he will take your sons and make them run before his chariots. They're telling you this thousands of years ago, even thousand years before Christ. They're telling you that this is what happens. Polybius said it. He wasn't even a Christian. He wasn't a Jew, but he said it. He was a Greek who became a Roman. Because your appetite for benefits at the expense of your neighbor. Social Security, all the money you paid in is gone. There's nothing in there that you put in, not a dime in there. You say, oh, because they robbed from the Social Security Fund. From the beginning, 1937, 55, 60s, in the 70s, the Supreme Court ruled over and over and over and over again that there is no division of the funds. There is no separate trust fund. I don't care what you read on Fox News or in the newspaper. You didn't even read the Social Security Act. There is no separation of funds. If your country is in the red, Social Security is in the red. Everything you paid in went out. They didn't rob from it or borrow from it. There is no separation of funds. Write it down. They did. Nothing you get from Social Security. Nothing you get. My, I know somebody who was in the Social Security office. They're in their 70s now, and they went in to collect their Social Security. They worked for a long time, and they now they want to collect it. And they go in there and this is wasn't an old person in there. It's all young people. Why? Because it's been used. Why did they borrow from it, which they didn't really do, is to buy votes. To, to, to addict people to benefits at the expense of their neighbors. It's, it's nothing you paid in that the, those young people didn't pay in. But they got everybody, they now pay for my tuition, pay for my college, pay for And people, 
borrow this money from the the government, which is actually borrowing from their neighbor through a man who exercises authority, whether your neighbor wants to loan it to you or not. He has no discretion in it. He has to give the money to the, and they don't even give the money to the government because they have this, we've gone so far that all the money you pay to the government does not provide money for student loans or police or fire departments or anything. It just goes to pay the interest on the debt. It's it's totally bankrupt system. You know, I always wonder in the zombie movies, how do zombies still stay alive? But supposedly that somehow, you know, that's the scary thing, you know. The World War Z zombie who he's not just dragging his back leg, he's running. <laughs> he's a scary zombie. Uh, and uh the uh the reality is is that where's your immunity to all this? How do you prevent this destruction? You know, this you stop taking away from your neighbor. You know, the the Chetta. You know, the Chet Tov Hey. Yeah. Which creates the idea, those letters create the idea of take taking away. Taking hold of, seizing. There's no way you can get any, any, any benefit from government without taking away from your neighbor. At this stage, because the government's bankrupt, owes billions, trillions of dollars. It's just borrowing money to keep operating. We hear it over and over. How many times have you heard it on the news? They increase the debt ceiling, borrow more. Who are they borrowing from? They're not borrowing from you anymore. They're borrowing from your children. You curse your children with your biting practices, your covetous practices. And and you've created a gigantic monster that just is devouring everybody and everything. All the land, you know, the whole thing with the Bundys and the Hagues and the you don't own your land anymore. It's been sold as surety for the debt. You've lost the battle. Now what is it time for? It's time for repentance. Turning around. Yeah, okay, you have to take Social Security or you'll starve. I can't feed you all by myself. But you can start coming together and caring about one another, laying down your life, whatever's left of it, for others, sacrificing for others. And And if you don't start doing that, you will remain a zombie. You cannot be raised from the dead. You will go into destruction. And as you have taken and taken and taken and taken, so shall you be judged. The, The wise men lay up knowledge, it says in Proverbs 10, 14. But the mouth of the foolish is near destruction the mouth of the food and and it is that destruction the the flowing of take and take and take and take and take 
That's the destruction they're talking about. We see the same word again in the rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Now, you could twist that to mean all kinds of things. But uh, in the next one, we see uh, the next use of that word is also in Proverbs 10.29, because it goes on to explain. The way of the Lord is strength to the upright, the righteous, you know, those who live by faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and violence. You don't do that. As a society, I don't know hardly a church. There are some Amish that kind of do that. You know, so you have a little insample in existence in the world. But I mean, what is there? Three hundred thousand Amish at the most, and they're not all that good. But at least they're, you know, they're automatically exempt from things like the Obamacare because they are actually taking care of one another. But in Proverbs ten twenty nine, it says the way of the Lord is. Strength to the upright, the righteous. But destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. You know, that phrase shows up numerous times in the Bible. The workers of iniquity. And and the word iniquity, what is that word iniquity? You know, it actually shows up as iniquity about 50 times in the Bible. But it also shows up as vanity. And affliction, and mischief, and unrighteousness, and even evil, or false, or idle, or mourners, whiners, maybe we could add to that, because we've seen enough whiners on the streets, whining, complaining, looking for their safe spaces, the unjust, the vain. And the word is iniquity is translated all these different ways. And of course, even sorrow. But, and troubled. These people are all troubled. Idolatry. Because idolatry is a form of wickedness. What is idolatry? Idolatry is worshipping the stick house you created with from the tree of knowledge. Where you pick this, oh I like this branch. This makes me seem right. I like this branch. It makes me seem right. You know, the branch that says, you know, white people are saved. <laughs> you know, that, that makes me feel good. Oh, and they will defend that. And everybody who disagrees with them are wicked. But where is righteousness? Because if you go back to the first part of that quote, you know, he's talking about the way of the Lord is strength to the upright. So what is the way of the Lord? What is this way of the Lord? I mean, Christianity was called the way. And and that particular word that they translate, way, uh, you know, it appears in the Bible, I don't know, 700 times. In, in the Old Testament alone, it appears 700 times. About 600 times it's translated way, but sometimes it's translated toward, as if it has to do with you know going a particular way, a direction. But it's also translated journey. It's also translated the manner, the manner in which you do things. You know, it's a way, a road, a distance, a journey, a manner, a road, a path. So what path are you on? It's 
it's not race. It doesn't say the race of the Lord. It says the way of the Lord. So what way are you going? Are you taking care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity? Or are you taking care of the needy of society through force, fear, and violence? Because that's the difference between John the Baptist and Herod. That's the difference between the kings of the world and Jesus Christ as your king. So don't tell me you believe in Jesus and have no social welfare system that you're creating from the ground up. Gathering together to help other people, not feed zombies, but to help zombies live again, become alive again, be cured. Can you heal a zombie? Right now you might be able to do that. There will come a day when it will be too late. You have to stop biting one another. You have to stop, start caring about one another. You have to start for, you cannot do that unless you start forgiving one another. You know, the, the reason the Indians are losing that standing rock, and I, I can't, I'm not, I don't want to put everybody in a single, single lump sum deal, but you can go there and watch the videos. You can go there in person if you want. I would be glad to go there, but I've got too much work here. I get very little help. <laughs> but look, there's too much unforgiveness. They talk about nonviolence, and that's good. And and there are some that maybe have forgiving hearts, but there's too much unforgiveness, too much victimhood. You know, they're picking on the Indians again, you know, and everything. The Indians lost, the Indians that lost. Now, all Indians didn't lose. So, but the Indians that lost, lost because they thought it was okay to pick on other Indians. And as they judged, so were they judged. And they were destroyed. They had no spiritual defense against the destruction that was coming. Now, there were Indian tribes that were not destroyed, and Indian tribes that succeeded, and groups of Indians that succeeded and survived. And you won't even know where they are. They may not even look at themselves as tribes. Tribalism is a very dangerous thing. Now, Israel was 12 tribes. and they But they came together. And they had certain principles, which you actually could find in the original Confederacy Constitution of the Indians. But depending on your interpretation, you could misinterpret it. I mean, it was only uh, created by symbols. It wasn't have a word language identifying what those symbols mean. Other people have come along and put down what those symbols mean. And when you read it, you realize that this is not a good thing. When you, when you maybe not when you read it, but when I read it, <laughs> I see it, that it's not a good thing. But it's the interpretation that I disagree with. The original idea, I may have very much agreed with. It may have been a very Christian idea. I don't, you know, I never met the prophet that originally gave them these ideas. But I suspect that he was a Christian. For all I know, it was Christ himself. Nobody seems to know exactly when it took place. We know what names they attribute to the guys who eventually, originally came up with the Confederacy. But the way it's interpreted now in the writings that are available is a destructive interpretation. 
and believe. I mean, there's some good things. But it's a destructive interpretation. I see the same thing with the Old Testament. The way the original authors meant it, which the original author is God in the hearts of good men, I think it was a great, it was, it was just like the New Testament, but people have twisted it. And one of those twists we talked about in the last show, that his kingdom is not on this planet. His kingdom is just not of the world of Pontius Pilate. It is on this planet. His kingdom is not for the dead. It's for the living. It's not for zombies. Zombies go out and let them bite one another. How do you defend yourself against that? Those zombies, werewolves, and vampires. You need the Spirit of God in you. You need to forgive. You need to come together with the intent to give. You need to wean yourself or go cold turkey off these uh, ideas of coveting one another's goods, biting one another's goods. Pride goeth before destruction. Humility goeth before salvation. You cannot repent unless you admit you're wrong. You don't know how to turn around unless you realize the journey you're on, the way you are following now, is one of a haughty spirit. Because pride goeth before destruction and the haughty spirit before the fall of man. You think you know already. That's the haughty spirit. He loveth transgression. He loves his benefits at the expense of his neighbor. And he loveth strife. And he exalteth his gate, seeketh his gate seeketh destruction. That's where people, they, they are trying to destroy themselves. People think, oh, well, they elected this leader and he's trying to destroy the nation. They all are seeking destruction. The fool's mouth is his destruction. And his lips are the snare of his soul. And that is why he has become, his covetous practices have made him merchandise, cursed his children, all New Testament quotes. And now what are you going to do? Open thy mouth for the dumb and the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. You know, that, that's, that's Proverbs 31.8. What 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 are they talking about there? He says it several times. Open the mouth, judge righteously. See, the first time he says, open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Before that, link him, uh, let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery. No more. He's talking about salvation here. He's talking about turning around and going the other way. Open thy mouth. Judge righteously. Plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Doesn't mean give them everything they want. Who can find a virtuous woman? They go on. This is one of my favorite parts. For her price is far above 
rubies. The virtuous woman should be the church. The church should be leading the way to a system of tens, hundreds, and thousands where people come together to help one another. And as they do that, God will put upon them the full armor of God. It requires them to walk in forgiveness. They cannot divide themselves because they have their little stick house, their little straw house of doctrines, handpicked by them from the tree of knowledge. They have to be following the way. They can't be workers of mischief. They can't be, you know, dividing the people with their talk. And, you know, their their safe place. You know, that's what people do. They, when they, they don't usually call it that way, but they create their little doctrine, you know, like, you know, whether it's pro-Trinity, uh, anti-Trinity, uh, uh, you know, pro-Rapture, anti-Rapture, uh, you know, obviously, I don't agree with the rapture, but uh, in a sense, there is a rapture. is isn't a rapture bus that takes you away. It's it's some will be taken and some will be left kind of approach because some will receive the Holy Spirit and some will not, and some will be taken by evil and some will not. So, I mean, the principle you could apply it a number of different ways, but. I don't care whether you believe my particular interpretation. What path are you on? What way are you following? Are you a worker of iniquity or are you a worker of righteousness? If you're going out and doing all kinds of charitable works, giving away all kinds of money and starting all kinds of food kitchens, you still may be a worker of iniquity. If you're going out and ministering to people, but you're not strengthening the poor to stand on their own. If you're making them need your leadership, your discipling, rather than setting them free by bringing them to the Holy Spirit. I read something the other day. I thought it was a good meme. But real leaders aren't looking for people who need leaders. They're looking for people who learn to lead themselves. They're, they're looking to set men free. That's They don't want to make you dependent upon them as a leader. They want to get you to interact with one another through faith, hope, and charity. So if there's a need amongst them, you don't want to just satisfy that need. You want them to come together and satisfy it for one another. You want them to learn the humility of asking and the uh, grace of freely giving and the uh, pathway of repentance, which is the reverse of just thinking that you're entitled, that you should just receive, that you should just get, because somehow or other you've done something to be saved. No, you have to, you know, like the woman who begged Jesus, uh, just the crumbs from the table. I, I'm none, I'm done deserving. The man who says, I believe, but I need help with my unbelief. These are positions of humility. 
asking is a, a position of humility. It's not expecting reward because you're chosen, because you're of a certain race or a certain religion or because God has blessed you in the past. We should always bless you in the future and because you have achieved a point of salvation that other people lesser than you have not. Vanity. For the heart studieth destruction and their lips talk of mischief. We need to become wiser than that. We need to become other kinds of people. Isaiah talks about destruction, uses another word. Uh, you know, Shem, Eleph, Yad, uh, Hey. And he only uses that word once uh, in, in all of the Testament. But uh, he, he uses it, uh, let's see if I can find out where he uses that particular word. Uh, it actually is from another word um, uh, that is, uh, you know, he, he re uses it in relationship to the city is left desolate, desolation, and the gate is smitten with destruction. And he and he, he uses the the emphasis word, but uh, the actual word is lay waste, rushing waste, desolate. And that may be what's coming now. We need to repent and turn away. Get on the Lord's side. And His pillar of fire. We'll be right back. Are you a part of the city of destruction? Are you a part of the solution, the city of righteousness? Well, are you gathering together and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity? Uh, what What are you up to? Uh, and I, I, the word destruction, like I said, it, it appears all over the place. I just read a quote from one place in Isaiah where a particular word that is translated destruction only appears once in the Bible. Uh, other places talk about destruction in Isaiah. There are many quotes in Isaiah that talk about destruction. But they use other words uh, other than that particular word. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, he doesn't just use one other word. He uses quite a few other words. Uh, the first three, four times, uh, actually five times in Isaiah where you find the word destruction it's five different Hebrew words that uh, that he uses to give this example of destruction. Some of the words only appearing once in the Bible, partially because of the emphasis words that are, are put in it. But uh, Kabbalah is translated destruction uh, and appears once in the Bible. One of the first places is in Isaiah 10.25. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger in their destruction. Uh, that particular word comes from another 
word that means wax old, become old, consume, waste, enjoy. Uh, that's interesting. Now it's also translated, one place it's translated enjoy. Uh, and you'd have to see it in context to see if there was any means to that. But uh, wear out, it even means. So this destruction comes that God gives you all kinds of time, all kinds of warnings. You've heard this warning over and over again. Uh, and yet we still still are following that path. My heart shall cry out for Moab. His fugitives shall flee unto Zor uh, and Heifer of three years old for by the mounting up of Lewis. He goes on, and the weeping shall they go it uh, shall they go it up for in the way and it, it continues on this cry of destruction. People have been reaping destruction throughout the world. We saw in the last century millions upon millions of people. We were talking about the First World War. One of the things about it I thought was always interesting. Three percent, even though uh, some days tens of thousands of men died in that war in single battles. Fifty thousand people died in one battle. And, but only 3% of the people who died in World War One were civilians. 3%. World War Two, 67% of the people who died were civilians. Millions upon millions of people that not even casualties of the war were rounded up and died in prison camps under communist regimes. During World War Two, after World War Two, during the takeover in China... Millions upon millions of people died, worked to death, beaten to death, uh, put in places where they were ridden with diseases, whole families destroyed, whole generations destroyed. And we're on the verge of doing it again. We are not immune to that. And we see destruction coming in almost every level of society, economically, morally, people rioting and destroying their own communities not realizing what brought their communities to real destruction to begin with. Slavery has not brought the black man down in America. So many people, you know, Black Lives Matter, all these people trying to blame everything on the fact that white men made slaves of black men. This victimizing themselves and victimizing themselves still. It's not what Booker T. Washington would talk about. He would talk about growing up and, and achieving despite whatever hardship somebody might throw in front of you. And but what what's destroyed the black community, which has mostly been since since Lyndon Baines Johnson, has been socialism. And there have been churches out there promoting it with people like Saul Alinsky and everything. And that's what destroyed the black community because they destroyed and undermined the family. I saw Prager Yu talking the other day about honor thy father and thy mother. Honoring thy father and thy mother. The word honor there is the same word for liver. It's the word that means to fatten, to make them heavy, to give them increase. Because you take care of your parents so that they, they life will be long upon the land and so that your children 
will grow up and and see that and you know you take care of your parents so that your children when they grow up they take care of you but you don't do that anymore you have the government you have men who exercise authority taking care of your parents supporting them paying their rent paying their power bills you might be there administering to them but you really aren't doing the whole thing and you cripple yourself with your religious sticks plucked from the tree of knowledge so that you cannot support your parents. You cannot fatten your parents. You actually live partially off your parents. You have to turn away from that. You have to become, if you're in bondage in Egypt, be in bondage in Egypt. Pay your tally of bricks. But start creating a society that gives of your life. That means you will be sacrificing your life. I saw somebody the other day, he's actually thinner than I've ever seen him. He works. He works diligently, hard, uh, on a regular basis, constantly, for his family. He can take care of his family and try to provide for his family. There's blessings that come in that that you will not ever get any other way. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, Isaiah goes on to say. Wasting nor destruction. He says that there won't be destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. People talk about building a wall now because to to stop the immigrants. And I don't have any objection to doing that. If that's what the people want, let them do that. But where is your salvation? It's not in these building of walls. Your your salvation is wall. What is your salvation? Turn around and go another way. Gather together in the tens, hundreds, of thousands. Take care of one another. Start trusting. You you can't just trust in one another because you all showed up at a congregational meeting. Trust has to be built by daily sacrifice. I don't care if it's a dollar a day, a dime a day, a penny a day. You have to be casting that effort out there and whether it's in the form of money or whatever it is but it has to be you know i've seen people giving stuff that is actually just a burden to the ministers and they would say well i was willing to let that go well if all you give is garbage all you should expect is garbage if you do not give give up a meal a week whatever that meal costs Give it away. You can give it away through the church to your local congregation. See, this is what's so strange about me. I I run this ministry, and people listen to me all over the country. I look and see thousands of people have come to the websites and everything. But I'm not saying send me money. I'm saying gather together in little congregations and start giving out and helping and taking care of one another. And that's what your ministers, we want all our ministers to be not need the support of their congregations. That's why we keep the congregation small. We want them to become independent. We could train ministers to become independent. But they have to be willing to do it, and that means they have to be willing to sacrifice. And then they will receive discipleship. You don't get this by neglecting your children or your family or anything you have. I mean, there is a sacrifice that is expected of them because of the fact that you do take time away from your family in order to minister to other people. 
But a family that is truly a Christian family understands that, and they will actually help with the father's chores while the father is out there serving the other people. And that's character building. That's husbandry. That's the good shepherd. That's what they do. Jeremiah talks about destruction. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. It's already spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment suffer this destruction. So what 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 is this all talking about? What is what is Jeremiah trying to tell us when he talks about destruction upon destruction? The fact is you already are destroyed because the monster is in you. You're biting one another. You're not caring about one another. You want to go and see this and see the game and take a vacation and have another pizza or whatever it is, and you don't really care about other people. You don't really take the time to care about other people. You have to do that religiously, ritualistically. O ye children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem and blow the trumpets. What's he talking about? He's talking about the great destruction that comes out of the north. I mean, if I could write out exactly what's going to happen in the future, I would not write it out. I would not give it to you. Because then you would look to me. You need to look into your hearts and say, am I a worker of iniquity or am I a worker of righteousness? Egypt is like a very fair heifer, but destruction cometh. It cometh out of the north. It comes out of the cold heart of the people. Egypt is bondage. That's what the word means. The sound of battle is is in the, the land and the great destruction that is coming. Why? Because we destroy one another already. Lamentations talks about destruction. Ezekiel talks about destruction. Now, Ezekiel, there is a lot of prophecy and some of it even has to do with our own time. Hoses talks, woe unto them, for they have fled from me. Destruction unto them, because they have transgressed against me. Though I have redeemed them, Jesus redeemed you. This is back then, because Moses redeemed the people too. Yet they have spoken lies against me. He talks in chapter 9, verse 6. For lo, they are gone because of destruction. Egypt shall gather them up. You are all back in the bondage of Egypt. Uh, He talks about pleasant places. I wonder if those are safe places. (laughs) So... Possess them thorns shall be in their tabernacle. And 
that's that's why I wanted people to understand that religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. And today, most people, even those calling themselves Christians or even Jews, take care of the needy of their society through men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. They do it through systems of force. That is the kingdom that they have created. And they have watched this happen. Billy Graham watched it happen. All these people watched it happen. I mean, there's some uh, Christian Jewish uh, prophets out there telling you what's going to happen in the future. But are they saying, because you've become socialist, because you've begun to bite one another and take from one another, and because now if you want to move the balance over to the other side, you can't do enough to change it. You still have to be saved by grace. You are all prodigal sons. You have strayed from the way. Now you have to turn around and come back. And in order to turn around, you don't need more socialism like the Pope was saying. You need less. You need to depend upon it less. You need to look to your leaders less. You need to become leaders of yourselves. You need to walk together, come together I mean, you have become addicted to benefits, and you need to join, you know, AA, <laughs> Aid Anonymous, people who need benefits anonymous. You become addicted to living at the expense of your neighbor, your public schools, your health care, all these things. You need to turn around and start creating another way, homeschooling, home education. You can do this. Uh, you don't need giant buildings. You don't need huge cathedrals. You need people coming together. For they, their salvation will be the wall. God will put the pillar of fire there between you and destruction. You cannot save yourself, but you can turn around. You can start coming together and stop dividing one another. In the New Testament, we see destruction also translated for more than one word. And, and you know, we, we can see in, in Matthew, we see the word destruction. In uh, enter ye at the straight gate, he says, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. So that may be a hint as whether many are saved or a few. Because you can only get a few on a narrow way. <laughs> Get many on the Broadway. And many there be which go in thereat. So he's saying many are headed for destruction. And the word he has there is poly, uh, which is, is, appears more than once, although only once as destruction. Actually, uh, it appears about five times as destruction, probably uh, uh, forms of the, the word destruction. Uh, oh, yeah, right, it does. It appears five times as destruction, but also as perdition, also as waste, also as damnable. And, and, and in conjunction with other words, it means to die and to perish, uh, destroying, utter destruction. And And we see that word in... And Matthew seven thirteen, but we will also see it, like I say, as perdition. But in in Romans three sixteen, we see another word translated destruction that does only appear once, 
in the Bible. And it's a completely different Greek word. But it has to do with calamity. Broken, shattering, fraction. Destruction and misery. He includes misery to kind of define the form of destruction. Paul uses a lot of times words only once. And and actually he seems to make up words because we find words in Paul's writings, which is okay. Because he's trying to, you know, as Peter says, he's going to talk to you about things that are difficult to understand. So he makes up words by combining other Greek words. But, you know, Shakespeare did the same thing. Uh, because we don't find some of the words that he uses anywhere else in any other literature anywhere <laughs> in, in those times. So anyway, he talks about destruction and misery are in their ways. And what are their ways? Their ways are the covetous ways that they talk about. Peter talks about. Jesus talks about. Moses talks about. The ways of biting one another, taking from one another. The Polybius talks about. Of living at the expense of others, addicted to those benefits. You need to get off those benefits. You need to start depending upon one another. And you can do this, and your children will get a better education. And your families will be stronger. And your days will be longer upon the land. And, yeah, it may not come with a health plan that's offered by PERS or government agencies, but it comes from God's health plan. I heard an interesting t- statistic. Of any group of people in the United States, the Amish have the lowest birth rate, uh, not birth rate, uh, cancer rate. They have probably one of the highest birth rates. <laughs> but they have one of the lowest cancer rates. Well, they eat healthy and they work. And people are always looking for things of longevity. <laughs> And they, by the nature, because they don't take a lot of benefits, they have to learn to care about one another. They're not always as good at it as they should be, but that's the way, the struggle, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessel's of wrath fitted to destruction. That's also in Romans, and it's another word for destruction that we see in the in the biblical text. He mentions it in Corinthians, you know, Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Uh, who is to deliver us from that? Well, we have to become prodigal sons, and then the Father will come out and meet us halfway because we're not going to make it back on our own. We cannot do this with our own will. And we certainly cannot do it by plucking branches from the tree of knowledge and creating our little religious ideologies. We have to not just study to show ourselves the truth, but we have to be diligent in our seeking. Seeking is an action word of the kingdom of God. So everybody, everybody should be trying to gather together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands gather together in congregations. Somebody was asking about family trust to help protect the assets of their family. And they want to know if we had a template. Well, there's all kinds of templates available and because legal you're in bondage in the world and the trust should be compatible with the system of the world because you're trying to protect the stuff that's probably you only have legal title to in the world. And so 
each trust has to be tailored not only for the family, but for the state in which the family exists. And maybe the property exists in more than one state. So all that has to, but if you come together in congregations, you can figure out how to build those trusts. We have a whole page on it. And I, I sent some of that back, but it's something I created, put together. And, uh, and I could add a lot more to it because I've studied these things for years, but it has to be tailor-made for your family. It has to be tailor-made in your state to help protect you. But ultimately, what I see is coming together and working together, expending time and energy to help out your family. You need to do a balance where you're also trying to help out other families. So whatever you discover in that journey, that process, you have to be willing to share with other families. Now, you don't want to share it with zombies. So you don't want to just put it out there where zombies might use it. But you share it amongst your congregations. And this is the thing, is that the congregations will be sharing amongst themselves first and foremost. And they reach out with outreach to other people to help them too. But this is, these are ways in which to help one another. And the money you save and other people save by helping one another now you can cast that money back upon the waters to, for outreach, to bring more people who are seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you're only seeking the kingdom of God, but they don't want to have anything to do with the righteousness, you know, like, what has the widows and orphans ever done for me? What can I do for you? You can sit around and think, oh, woe is me. I've had these problems, and I've had these sicknesses, and I've, you know, my... My wife is giving me a hard time or my husband is giving me a hard time. But what what is the real solution? Whose end is destruction? Uh, in Philippians it says, Whose God is their belly? And whose glory is in their shame? Who mind earthly things? You need to mind spiritual things, attend to spiritual things. I mean, the Pharisees were condemned because they did not attend to the weightier matters. What is the weightier matters? Law, judgment, mercy, faith. Well, trust is about law. And trust can help protect your family. Uh, having baptismal documents to say who, who has custody of your children. You make it up, not just like some certificate, but an actual document that if something happens to you, who gets your children? Where will your children go? And there's going to be a lot of chaos in the future. And we'll talk more about it on the next broadcast. But you need to prepare not only for yourselves, but for others. And until then, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, 
Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.